As you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, we will finish 3. 3 will be finished no matter where we get to. I'm looking forward to 4. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we have numerous requests, health, spiritual, emotional, Lord, some anticipating surgery and doctors, others recuperating from various sicknesses and ailments. Father, you know everyone, you know every situation where we've come from this evening. Lord, where we go as we leave. We thank you for the promises that you watch over your own. Lord, we do think about the prison ministry and those who will go tomorrow. We pray uh, that you would give strength, that you would give insight, that you would give uh, ears to hear, Lord, and uh, a tongue to speak your grace and mercy. We pray for the same thing this evening as we look at this letter to a Suffering, a persecuted, dispersed uh, group of Christians. Lord, I pray that you would show us ourselves in the midst of all of this. Help us as we walk through this end of chapter 3, not to get too bogged down in the questionable parts of your word that we don't understand. There's so much of it we do understand that we need to apply. But help us to think through these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're about verse 18. Um, let's look at, let's read 14, beginning in verse 14 to the end of the chapter, and then we'll pick up at verse 18. Even if you should suffer, for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly 
did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So that's God's word that we're going to look at here as we end chapter 3, verse 18. If you ever did any evangelism explosion or uh, extensive evangelism training, you probably learned 3.18. It's a great gospel verse. Christ has suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, if you, depending on the version that you have, and there's probably very little difference there. But it's a, a verse that by itself says Christ's substitutionary atonement, His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient. There's no further sacrifices that are needed, Peter says. He suffered once for sins. Uh, in 20 and 21... It was the, that's the passage where servants are, be, are to be subject to their masters. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten, beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God for the, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So he's got the suffering of the Christian uh, set next to the suffering of Christ. Christ is our example. And in verse 17, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and we know for sure that he suffered uh, for doing good because he did nothing that was not good. Uh, so just kind of setting that suffering as Christians alongside the suffering of uh, Christ. But Christ suffered for us once for all. Uh, he died once for all. We went through Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 in particular. Uh, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood securing an eternal redemption. And in 9.26 of Hebrews, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ suffered, as he says, once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. God's justice is uh, is on display. God's justice it prevails. God's justice is uh, meted out. Uh, Jesus' sacrificial death. Uh, uh, the Christians, as Christians, we suffer unjustly at times while doing good. Christ suffered not 
for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He suffered for the unrighteous. The just suffered for the unrighteous. God made, God the Father made him who knew no sin, sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Lord Jesus fulfilled God's uh, demand, his righteous demand for justice. His wrath was satisfied for all who would believe so that he might bring us to God. Gain, we gain an entrance to the presence of God uh, by removing what alienated us from God, by removing our sin, taking our sin upon himself, and we become acceptable to him, and therefore we can approach him and be assured that God is favorable to towards us. Not because of what we're doing, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, or uh, by the Spirit. If you have, what do you have? Uh, you have to have, I think, King James, New King James, maybe, does New American capitalize Spirit? Anybody have New American? At, at the end of verse 18, it doesn't. I'm trying to think of the other version. Oh, that's the NIV that will capitalize it. So is it in the spirit, in the spiritual realm, Christ was made alive would be sort of what, uh, you know, uh, uh, he's not made alive his spirit is not made alive because his spirit is eternal, right? His spirit is never his spirit didn't die. His flesh died. So in the human realm he died in his flesh and was made alive in a spiritual realm uh, if you will. But it's that's why I think the better translation is just a little preposition that can go all kinds of ways. He's, he, he's, uh, he dies in the flesh, but he's made alive by the Spirit through the resurrection. I mean, seems that's talking about the resurrection. You may have other ideas. Anybody? But, it, but, but to be made alive, you're saying his spirit died. And that's going to be, that's going to uh, lead us into some bad theology. Right? I mean, isn't that right? Eternal souls for us? Well, okay, but does our soul die when we die? No. So it doesn't need to be made alive. Right? I mean, in that sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, but we're but we our soul is still. I mean, we we still there's an immaterial part of us that never dies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, again, it's a preposition. It's a it's a it's a non-distinct word, but it makes a theological difference, right? Yes, Mark. Yeah. Right. It it doesn't. His spirit doesn't die. His spirit goes ascends to the Father. He gives his spirit to the Father, and we'll look at that in just a second. And uh, but his body goes into the tomb, and his body is raised at the resurrection. Good. Any additions? Any comments? All right. Well, he bore the sins of he bore the sins of all who would ever believe. He he what kind of suffering? Well, he was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't forsake him, but his sin made a separation between him and God, right? And so there's that sense. What is Isaiah 59, our, you know, the Lord's hand is not short, but our sins make a separation between him and us. The sin that alienated us went on to Christ. And so now we have access. While he was there on the cross, in one sense, he was alienated from the Father. Jesus doesn't turn his back. I mean, God doesn't turn his back on us. The Father, it's our sin that separates us, that, that uh, uh, gives us that alienation sense. Alan, anything? Okay. I'm looking for help, brother. I just, but, but you, you know, and, and so it's not, I mean, he suffered on the cross. And we'll talk about that. Did he go to hell or not? Did he descend to hell? Uh, when he preaches to these spirits in prison. Uh, His spirit did not die. His spirit is alive. And it doesn't need to be made alive to me. And so it's by the spirit he's raised. You know, when we read about who who raises Jesus from the dead. I lay down, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to raise it up. He's raised in the power of the Spirit. The Father raised him from the dead. Right? <laughs> what God does, he does as a trinity. Uh, and, and so he raises himself. The Father raised him. God raised him from the dead. But that's physically 
more his spirit is his spirit is with the father and somehow he he experienced spiritual death for us anything bruce i'm look I, i'm sorry kim i'm i'm looking over the uh to the reform Okay. So was the idea that the relationship was actually separate and bringing in the amount of time? Was there, was there a point that you were saying that the Trinity wasn't the Trinity? No, it cannot be. Okay, so there wasn't. No, there's not a There's a point in which he experienced the forsakenness, but he was not forsaken in, in the strictest sense. Yeah. Yeah. So now, yeah, no, Trinity can't be. Trinity is eternal. You can't separate. Uh, like the, the 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 ones of the Trinity cannot be separated. Persons of the Trinity. Yeah, we, you know, we don't want to be doodlers with words, right? I don't remember who said, talked about doodlers with words. I probably should before I use it. But uh, we can get to where we doodle with words so much that we get way more intricate than God purposes for us to get here. And this is just a gospel passage. Uh, uh, Christ suffered for, once for sins. That's important, isn't it? One sacrifice, it's over. No more sacrifices. His sacrifice is sufficient. The righteous for the unrighteous. God's justice is uh, satisfied uh, for unjust people that he might bring us to God. We now have access being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. In which... He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, here comes a controversial passage. He proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And we'll just, there's no place to stop in this end here. But we're going to stop right there and just talk for a little bit. Uh, I'll let, hopefully you'll talk some, huh? Christ is preaching to the spirits in prison and there's some kind of a Type, uh, typological, if you will, I'll use that word, connection between the flood and Noah's days and Christian baptism. As we keep going in that passage where it goes into, uh, they're brought safely through, eight of them are brought safely through the water in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this. Baptism, which is an anti-type, you know, something of a type in the Old Testament points forward as a picture or a symbol or a representation of the reality of the new covenant, right? 
a type of the new covenant. Well, baptism in the new co- is an anti-type. Baptism is the reality. The type is Noah and the uh, flood. I'll let you figure out how. Maybe you can help me. I've got five ways that this is kind of uh, interpreted. And uh, the two that I read mostly, the two people that I read mostly, who are very dependable say, I don't know. So we just remember, we'll talk about it, but we let the main things be the plain things and the plain things be the main things. So we won't get too bogged down in this. But we, we want to look at it. Um, all right. Did Jesus go into hell? Descend into hell? Let me read you. You know the Apostles' Creed, right? Depending on which version of the creed you read. And this is not the original. It was added later. But I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended from heaven, or ascended to heaven, and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, um, Almost all modern-day Apostles' Creed versions of it will leave that descended into hell out. It uh, came in a little bit later. Uh, I don't... uh, Of course, before the Reformation, so it was the Catholic Church, but really a little c uh, at the time. And so, since the early fathers, this passage used to support from the beginning, early on when it first came in, uh, a descent into hell between his death and resurrection. Between his death and resurrection. Now, go back and read the passage where he proclaimed, and does it really say between his death and resurrection? Look at the middle of verse 18, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which you went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So if that's a chronological thought, it's after the resurrection. Isn't it? If you read it that way and it's going in in logical progression, that's not in between the in between his death and resurrection, those, which is when most people put this, if he descends into hell, or if he went and, if the spirits in prison are in, in some dead place, wherever the dead go, um, it's out of order in logical progression. Right? We, okay? Calvin believed it was okay to leave this in, but... It's okay to leave a real descent into hell, but he didn't agree that it happened after his death, 
because at the end of his time on the cross, what did he say? We are, it's finished. So that he didn't have, because some would say he went down, he had to go down. In fact, Calvin kind of explains that for him to experience us, he needed to go to hell and experience what that was like. Calvin would say that. He needed to experience the spiritual death. But, he says, it didn't happen after the resurrection. It didn't happen after the death. It happened while he was on the cross as he bore the wrath of God. Though he doesn't mind leaving it in. Um, and then that gets, takes care of the logical uh, tangle there. He says... He didn't. I'm I'm right. He didn't agree that it happened after his death because, at the end of his death, it is finished. No more satisfaction to be made than what was rendered on the cross. So some would say he needed to do a little bit more by experiencing hell. That I think that's bogus. The cross is not sufficient then. Uh, the other reason to leave it out, that's a reason to leave, the other reason to, or the reason to leave it out is his spirit's in heaven, if you will, and his body's in the tomb. How can he go somewhere, go into a different place? If it's, I mean, there's no more part of him to go. You going to say something, Bruce? You almost had your finger up, and you don't, you don't get to almost put your finger up without comment. Yes. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's... Some way. Yeah. Not a full manifestation. Alienation from God is hell, right? right? Apart from the presence of God. Yes, Alan. Well, yes, but not alien. Well, they're all alienated from him, right? From his what? From his what? Okay, all right, that's good. That's probably a better way to say it. Yes, Julie. He told the thief on the cross, today I'll see you in paradise. Yeah. If God is not there, he's not omnipresent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the more you talk about it, the more you can get in trouble with these kinds of passages, right? I mean, and we just, what's there? What's there? He went to the spirits in prison. All right, here's five ideas, five interpretations over the centuries of which Sproul and Kistemacher, two guys that we, the elders use 
quite often. Both say, I don't know. Or Kistemacher doesn't say. He just lays them out. Sproul says, I don't know. At least Sproul, I mean, he, just, he doesn't mind saying he doesn't know. You know, and I think we need to be careful. All right, here's the first one. Christ's proclamation took place in Noah's time. Christ, the spirit of Christ, through Noah, preached to the people as he was building the ark and called them to repent and, and gave them a promise of good news, but they rejected it. So that's one view, that Christ, a pre-incarnate Christ, preached through Noah to the spirits in prison. They're in prison now, but they weren't then. Preaching to live people. Okay? Questions on that? They're now spirits in prison, reserved for final judgment. Peter's point is, as God vindicated Noah by sending judgment, the judgment that Noah proclaimed, he will vindicate Christians when he judges the world according to the proclamation of the gospel. And that's Peter's point, the correspondence there. All right? So Christ proclaimed... uh, Number two, between death and his resurrection, during his descent to hell, as he announced his, Christ proclaimed or announced his victory over sin and death to the spirits of human beings who persisted in unbelief while Noah built the ark and were then confined to the realm of the dead. So between death and resurrection, This view, between death and resurrection, he went and proclaimed his victory, if you will, to those who rejected in Noah's day, vindicating Noah. A second view. Uh, By the way, it's like eschatology. Whatever millennial view you hold, you got problems. There's problem texts that will drive you crazy. Okay, all of these have problems. That's why there's so many different opinions. That's why there's so many different views of eschatology. Okay, three, Christ announced his victory on the cross between his death and resurrection uh, to the fallen angels who drew humanity into wickedness in Noah's day based on that particular interpretation of Genesis 6, where the angels cohabitated with uh, women. And so these are the ones that he proclaimed this uh, uh, victory to. He announced his victory on the cross to the fallen angels based on that uh, interpretation of Genesis 6, 1 through 4, that angels cohabitated. Angels, the sons of God are angels. Fallen angels who cohabitated with women. Uh, And so that's another view. Um, Probably a pretty popular view. Uh, I don't hold that view because I don't hold that view of Genesis 6. Uh, That the sons of God in Genesis 6 is the line of Seth that replaces Abel. 
you read the genealogies of Seth, and Corey taught us this, you read the genealogies of, of Seth and uh, Cain, uh, Cain's genealogy is filled with corruption. Seth's line maintained integrity for a while. And these genealogies and those that are talked about in these two different genealogies, they, they have these different lines. There's emphasis between the different, of, of the difference between them until the sons of God then are corrupt too. And we get to the flood. Yes. Yeah. That would be that interpretation. I don't buy it, but that, yes, yes. Many, oh, again, many hold that position. Men of valor, yes, yes, and giants happened after that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, we done there? Number three, number four, Christ proclaimed his victory over death to fallen angels after the resurrection at the time of of his ascension into heaven, reading it logically as it's written there by Peter, uh, died in the flesh, raised in the spirit, then he preached as he ascended to these spirits in prison. Uh, on his ascension into heaven. All right, here's uh, one more, and, and Sproul's the only one who uh, offers this, but he says it's got plenty of problems. Okay, so we read, he says, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit, or by the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Um says this could be the spirits who were imprisoned that he preached about. Remember, he proclaimed in Luke chapter 4, liberty to the captives, quoting Isaiah. And so he went, notice how he says in verse 18, in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. If we were to look at Luke 4, which is the fulfillment from Isaiah, he says, I came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Um, There's an obvious weakness to that. What's the correspondence to Noah? So, take your pick. Who are the spirits in prison? What was the message proclaimed? I left out one that we just don't bother with. Uh, the, uh, the ancient church fathers would say that he preached and gave a second chance to those in Noah's day. Mormons believe that, okay. But Christians believe, or ancient Christians, and there's probably Christians today who believe that. But 
that, but we know there's no, uh, uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgments. You've got to throw away Hebrews chapter 9, which also throws away once for all sacrifice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everybody goes in this kind of the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they get sorted out. There's two compartments. You know, that would be a very uh, dispensational view of the afterlife. There's two compartments of the dead. Some are good and some are bad. You know, and, and, and there is a great gulf fixed, right? Unless Jesus' parable is not reality. And I don't think Jesus ever taught a parable that wasn't, that was wrong as to what really happens. And so you got the uh, rich man and Lazarus there separated by a great gulf fixed after they die. I don't, I don't know how much theological uh, uh, credence we give as we begin to this intermediate life. But I don't think Jesus would teach contrary to what's actually reality when he teaches parables. If that is a parable, some would say. I'm so That's... What was... Okay, well... Well, you know, let me... Let me yeah, they already know the truth. Here, let... The problem with this text is we want to know when. We don't know when. We don't know where. And we don't know who. And we don't know what. You know prison, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so it, it's just a text, of, again, land very, uh, land very softly wherever you want to be on this. Mark, I never did answer you. Un part of the fallen Paul of the far, fallen crew yeah 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 and and yes yes Moses day I, I mean Noah's day uh, you can Limit it to the bad guys in Noah's day, if you will, if that's, there's some kind of correspondence. What's the significance of Noah's day, though? Yeah. Well, uh, God said, that's when God said, I wish I hadn't done this. I mean, be careful, but that's kind of it. it, it I mean, isn't it? What, how does he say that? I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so he kind of starts over with eight. Uh, I, I don't want to be disrespectful. God didn't say I made him. I don't don't take, take that. You were going to say something, Alan. You're going to say something helpful. I, hope, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know the connection. Uh, the, the, the other parts of the, the planning and preaching and spiritual and praising remind me of, you know, we were going through 
resurrection there's some kind of a proclamation of victory yes 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 uh, just a proclamation what has been said is so you know they're they're rejoicing uh, in Colossians 2, they're rejoicing. We got rid of this guy. Oh. We, we, uh, in a faraway land a long time ago, we had a, in a service, we portrayed Carmen's song, The Champion. It's right off of that passage right there with the, you know, the uh, disarming, the, the enemy and the victory and he's the champion and all of those things. But that's what that passage is about and that could very well be the message. But it could very well be. I don't know. Yes, that's good. Okay, and I'm going to say, oh, you got something, Phil. <laughs> You'll be standing in a small group. Yeah, to sum it all up. That's going to happen to the judgment seat anyway. And you say they already know, the spirits already know. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? As he's talking about, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do? Well, these are lost people who, if the scene of the rich man and Lazarus is reality, they've already been in torment until the judgment day. They already know their fate, but they're still going to not have shut their mouth yet. Lord, we did this. You're wrong in judging us here. Though they've spent however long they've been dead in torment like the rich man. Right? And they're still going to say, but Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yes. We get into the wickets once we get to being 
Yeah. In verse 18, um, the, you're saying to put to death and made alive is us? Well, What, but yeah. But it's Christ put to death. He's the antecedent with the he and with verse eight and at the beginning the second word. You you know this is Christ being put to death and alive in the spirit. If it's us, we're reading into it's 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 bringing into the passage. Yeah. Yeah, David. Yeah, it is an explanation of that, but it, but don't forget, there's two more verses. Baptism has something to do with this. I told you we're going to finish. <laughs> yeah, I am. I really am. I thought this was my favorite book. My favorite epistle. I'm going back to Paul, sorry. Okay, when, verse 20, I'm going to start, when am I taking up? Let's see. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, so there's an analogy being built between baptism uh, uh, in the waters and the ark and saving eight people, there's some sort of an analogy between our baptism now and Noah's salvation, or, which corresponds to this baptism, which now which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to Him. Christ is reigning. He is ruling. He has dominion over all of creation, having ascended to the right hand of the Father. Right? Baptism now saves you. My goodness, we can't do this. Huh? What's the rush? All right. We're stopped. It's five till. We're stopping. And um, maybe we'll come back to this next week. Maybe we'll just start chapter four. I'll come back because this is good. Yeah, you, we got homework. Go work on it. Let me tell you why this is good. Uh, on this baptism now saves you the clearest explanation of this passage that I could find, and of course, I have to admit I'm biased, but not typically to a pedo-baptist. The clearest explanation, and what it, I was telling Bruce today, what it drove home to me is we can demean the meaning of baptism as Baptists. 
and so I'll let you go home and study and see what you think because I'm, I'm still a Baptist. This paedo-Baptist sounds like a Baptist until he gets to one word as he describes what's happening here. It's really good, really good. So, and again, that's an interpretation. We want to see what the scriptures say, right? We, want, we don't want, I mean, a commentary. We don't want a comment. We want to see what the scriptures really say. But he was so helpful to me. Anything, any last thing? Let me just say this. You are the cream of the crop in this six o'clock study. I say that for a reason. Andy needs some help in catechism. And many of you will go home. I understand. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but you're the cream of the crop. These kids need to be taught. Andy shouldn't have to be doing that. Anyway, uh, and we're starting a new study at 7 o'clock, a gospel study. It'll be time to examine your faith. It'll be time to share your faith with a book called Wasted Faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that Peter says, Paul's hard to understand. And we thank you that you understand that we have places where it's hard for us to understand. And we thank you that you understand it all. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to sort out the passages, but help us to major on the major issues of the Christian life. Every word is true. Every word is important. Lord, help us to do what we know to do in the power of the Spirit who we know lives within us if we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.